1: I am the producer of the actual play Dungeon and Dragons podcast, God's
2: Fall. My name is Dylan. My pronouns are he, him, and I'm a physicist from Canada. Welcome to Kill, Kill Every, Every Monster. Monster.
1: This week on Kill Every Monster, we are featuring the doppelganger.
2: The Monster Manual describes doppelgangers as devious shapeshifters that take on the appearance of other humanoids, throwing off pursuit or luring victims to their doom with misdirection and disguise. Few creatures spread fear, suspicion, and deceit better than doppelgangers. Found in every land and culture, they take on the guise of any individual from any race.
1: This episode, we are joined by Noir. Noir is a voice actor, streamer, musician, and improviser. He has studied at Chicago's I.O., Westside Theater, and Second City. He is the nerdy host of Critical Mrs. Morning Ritual and Game Master for Kobold Press's Into the Southlands, Magpie's CPP program. Noir,
2: how you doing?
1: I am
3: doing all sorts of all right. How are you doing today?
2: Uh, all sorts of all right seems to come yeah, pretty up much. Yeah, me. Yeah, it <laughs> <yeah, that seems laughs> <about laughs> week. Still COVID. What is a doppelganger to you?
3: they're like the most misunderstood creature in Dungeons and Dragons to me because of what they can do. I feel like a lot of people take advantage of the doppelganger. And when you read the description of the doppelganger, it's like they're these evil creatures that are just like out there to get you. It's just like if I'm something that can inherently read your mind and shapeshift, somebody's going to try and take advantage of that. So I got to do what I got to do to protect me. And they get punished for it. And I think that's I think that
2: sucks. It's one of the many species that DD gives you where they've got like a cool ability and like quite frankly, I'd be fascinated to see what kind of culture doppelgangers formed. Except they immediately go like, oh, and they don't have a culture, they're just a weird diaspora that specifically everyone hates and also is just malicious.
3: The problem is like doppelgangers can't walk outside looking like themselves without people freaking out. So to me, that kind of reads as in their first instinct is to like, oh, this bothers you. Let me put on the appearance of something you're more comfortable with. And then like that scares people too. It's just like it feels I I think I kind of relate to
2: the doppelganger as a black guy because it's like no matter what they do, they're scary. When you look through it, it's all stuff about like, oh no, they're devious, they're lazy, they're self-interested, they can't be bothered to raise their own kids. And like, this is uncomfortably on the nose is just like racist.
1: You're already saying that they use their different forms to be all, you know, bad and make crime, right? Why do they also have to be lazy? Like that takes effort. To, like, make up a personality and pretend to be a person. That is not a lazy man's task. I think what's more telling about
3: the doppelganger, though, is how Wizards uses them. When there's a bad
1: guy and they want to pull a switch rule, they'll toss a doppelganger in there. When they want to M. Night Shyamalan it, that's basically what they do. They toss in a doppelganger.
2: You don't get a whole lot of tavern-owning doppelgangers who are just like... I like working the bar. People get weird if you work seven shifts a night, so I just change my face for three of them. Hello, stranger. Now I'm you. Now we're not. Now we're not strangers. Welcome to the bar.
3: In my homebrew world, <laughs> there is a store called Mickey Markle's Magic Mimic Makery, Don't touch anything. That's the full name <laughs> of the shop. He has a commercial in, in everything. It's Mickey <laughs> yeah. Marcos Magic Mimic Bakery. Don't touch anything. You look, you're a victory that wants to protect your stuff. Come buy a mimic. The chests are mimic, The beds are mimics, The tables are mimic, And the public bathroom, uh, the sign is a mimic. So touch the door handle, not the side. <laughs> and, and Mickey Marco presents himself as a half but he's actually a doppelganger and he kind of relates to these uh to these mimics, so that's why he makes and sells them. I love it. The doppelganger's abilities are one that anybody wants. Anybody would love to be able to shift their form into whatever they want and to be able to read the minds of whoever they color it as a bad thing but in a lot of their adventures the bad guys are the ones that are using the doppelgangers the doppelganger is just doing what it does it's just like i guess i'm helping you by pretending to be this guy so okay It, it very much relates to me the way that america looks at like talented and gifted black folks where it's just like, Hey, we like it when you run fast for us at the Olympics. But like, if we catch you out the streets ready, you're doing that
1: evil thing again. Back in like second edition, they talk about how the doppelgangers can't reproduce with themselves. They have to reproduce with another humanoid and that how, and that, that therefore keeps them in check.
3: That's why, like when like, when I was asked like what monster would I choose, I chose doppelgangers because I I I love them so much, and they're such a fascinating creature that absolutely no time has been given to flesh out.
2: Especially because like a doppelganger society would basically be fucking utopian. You know all those times where you have a conversation with someone, you go home, your partner's like really frustrated, and you say like, "Hey, everything okay?" and they're like, it, "It's fine." And you just kind of have to like take a second and look. And there's that beat of like, I'm pretty sure I didn't do anything. Did something happen at work? Is this a thing? Like, Are you just having a rough day and I should just kind of leave it? Except they can always kind of just read surface thoughts. So you just kind of look at it. yeah, They're all just looking at each other. And it's like, oh, you seem like you're having a rough day. Oh, that's rough. No, like, not,
1: no not even seem. You are having a rough day. You're having a bad just, day. Like, they were just be statements because we know, like everyone yeah. would just know how everyone's feeling. and. You would think if everyone at all times knew how each other was feeling, we would be more careful of those feelings. You'd think
2: that. Especially cause doppelgangers can't push it. Like if you do detect thoughts as a spell, then you can concentrate on the target and you can read their mind and pry their secrets out. But this is perpetually only surface thoughts, just enough to get advantage on insight and all the basic charisma skills. It's just enough to know like how you're feeling, how you're doing, what's going on with you?
3: when you look at creatures like this is you you ask yourself what would their society look like and so they they have i have them living in a forest environment where very few of their buildings have more than 2 feet of stone because they don't mind people listening to them they they don't mind being able to hear other people it's only very few Areas in the village where th- the stone is built thick enough where they can't reach each other, uh, and this this also works for security purposes because if one <laughs> doppelganger knows you're here, Bing, Bing,
1: Bing, 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 right? Yeah, yeah.
3: And and the other thing is like they don't talk; they don't need to really. Talking is just something that they learned for outsiders, and their shifting is something that they just do for outsiders.
1: So when doppelgangers sing, do they sing in their minds or do they sing out loud?
2: Well, they gotta sing out loud because that's art. That's not. Yeah. Yeah, but that's how we that's how we
1: perceive it, Dylan. Maybe they don't. Maybe their mind space is more real than their verbal space. Imagine going to a concert
3: and the band can hear what you want to hear
1: played. Or hear how you feel about what they're playing.
2: I'm not big on electronic music personally, but a bunch of my friends were for a long time. And then one day, like some guy they really, really liked was coming to town. It was like an hour away. It's like, hey, do you want to come to this show? The moment you're in the space, like I don't care. Like the music still doesn't sound any better to me, but I now see the performance. I see the response and it feels different. Imagine being a doppelganger in that room where you can feel the intent of the band, you can feel the joy of the people around you who remember this song, you can feel the surprise of the one guy who like, listened to the most recent album but didn't go far back into the discography, so this is completely new shit to them. That would be a fucking incredible experience.
3: creatures as like inherently insidious and evil. It's just like, I don't, I can't fathom that.
2: There's a bit in there that specifically calls them hedonistic swindlers. And also that it doesn't justify hedonistic, which is weird to me.
1: In every other aspect, they're like, yeah, the incubus fuck anything, but they couldn't be like, yeah, you turn into something else, you can trick him into into having sex. That's what they were trying to say there, but they didn't. Yeah. Someone actually pulled them back from that ledge, surprisingly.
2: Except that then they in the media next section say, hey, they were reproduced by turning into someone really hot and tricking someone into having sex with them. Uh, So, I mean, way to dodge that bullet. Yeah. But regardless, how do you become hedonistic when every experience you have is just magnified by the experience of everyone around you? Going to a nice restaurant and not eating would still be phenomenal because you get to feel everyone else around you responding to everything that happens
3: you can walk into a restaurant and feel the excitement of somebody that's getting ready to propose. And then you can also at the same time feel the anxiousness of, are they about to propose to me right now? All at the same time?
2: At the same time that you're hearing the one waiter going like, God, I'm just fucking tired. I could use a drink. (laughs) What if you were the host, though? What if the doppelganger
1: was the host of that restaurant? So they're getting all these surface things. So they've got the They've got the single cupcake ready as soon as they start singing happy birthday. They've got the champagne coming out as the guy goes down for the knee to pull out the ring. Like like everything is perfectly timed because they're just seeing this symphony of emotions and they're just conducting the whole time.
2: Just one guy wandering around like it's it's the cook. It's not even the fucking maitre d'. He's just sitting there in the back going like, what do they feel like? I know what he said, but I could hear what he was thinking. I can.
1: Right, right. But he doesn't listen to any of the orders. He's just sending out whatever food he knows they want.
2: No, no, no. I, I felt what you were thinking. I saw the three things you were eyeing on the menu, and I know how to make the thing you really want if those are the three things that spoke to you. There's not even a menu. There's just
1: like ideas. The, there's just, <laughs> a, there's, yeah, there's just ingredients. Like, what do you
2: linger on? I I think this is a great lead-in to the most, like, blatantly obvious question I'm gonna ask today. Are doppelgangers a monster
4: noir?
3: (laughs) Absolutely not. Doppelgangers are a a underdeveloped concept uh which has the potential for uh an outstanding cultural setting uh outstanding traditions so there is there is another reason that i absolutely love doppelgangers is because uh of a a old book that i read by clive barker called a magica and it's about this sorcerer who has this really cool familiar name piopa and piopa looks like whatever you're attracted to and um they without spoiling the book because it's amazing and everybody should read it uh this powerful wizard goes away for a while the familiar is just like well what should i do and the wizard just offhandedly jokes well you could either be a prostitute or or an assassin you've got the you've got the skills for both it then just goes off and does whatever a couple millennia later the wizard comes back and piopas an assassin and a concubine. and it's just like but i i just i love the idea of just somebody who has a talent that could either lead to connecting with somebody on a level that is just so much more than anything else like if you are if you are friends with the doppelganger that relationship is going to be more than it would be with any other human or whatever or if you like piss off a doppelganger you're fucked for life like you never can trust anybody
2: yeah they could always worry that they're just right around the corner D&D loves an evil doppelganger, as we've mentioned several times, which is baffling because an evil doppelganger should be way scarier than they are. The fact that it could look like a guy you know is not scary. The fact that it's someone who always knows what the people around them are thinking, it's someone who always knows how you feel, and they can still wander over and slit your throat as you're dreaming and they can just kind of feel how pleasant that dream is, He's just leaning against the
1: house. I can feel him getting tired. I can feel him getting tired, cracks his knuckles, and he's asleep, and then walks in and takes him out.
3: And the second you suspect them, they go for a bathroom break and become somebody else.
2: The amount of emotionless you would have to be to be a doppelganger assassin. Is so much scarier because, like, you can't dehumanize anymore. If you
1: kill someone, you feel that you kill. You feel them dying. You know. You can't shut that out.
3: They do have to concentrate on their read thoughts ability, but it's because it's natural to them. I, I consider it like. You know if if i i can play guitar and there are some times where i just kind of sit and i'm not doing anything but i'll like noodle on guitar technically i'm concentrating on it but i've done it so much now that it's kind of second hand
2: activating it is an action maintaining it is concentration but concentration quite frankly for something like that is probably just not doing something intensive
1: yeah as long as you weren't like like if you're in combat
2: yeah, you have to do it. But if you're just like sitting at a cafe, uh, you pick someone and you're just like, how are they, how are they doing? <laughs> well, that's good. And you just sit there and you drink your coffee and you read your book and you've just got an ambient flow in the back of your head of like bonus emotion.
1: A really scale like like if you wanted to make a doppelganger, a true villain, right? It does feel the kills, but they're a serial killer. So it's the it's, it's, it's the <laughs> pinnacle of what a serial killer could experience. Yeah, that could be rather terrifying.
2: Those are the two directions, right, is the is the very aware of what they're doing uh, serial killer or the out of control serial killer. Because if you break it, if you make it an aura effect instead of a chosen action. Then suddenly it's someone who's running around, it's like, no, 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 I'm going to make it quiet. It's too loud all the time and I am going to make it quiet. So you're killing people who are like in intense thought. You're hunting down wizards because those thoughts are now so complex and so loud that you just can't handle it anymore.
3: The most terrifying version of the doppelganger to me is one that's absolutely not interested in murder, but to destroy us, to to, uh, systemically destroy a culture or to just like just undermine a kingdom. You know what? I'm I'm going to be a cleric. I'm going to be a cleric of this
1: church and I'm going to ruin it. Just a charismatic person can lead a religion. A charismatic person who understands what every parishioner is feeling is of terrifying force. The reason that I picked a, a, a clergy is because
3: there's already an established relationship between the average parishioner and, you know, the clergyman, where it's just like they know your secrets by virtue
2: of their position.
3: But what if you don't
2: have to confess for him to know the confession? God told me your sins. So let's let's leave it on. It has to be surface thoughts. It has to be something that's just kind of crossing your mind. But like if I'm talking to say my my professor, my supervisor, there are certain thoughts that are just not going through my mind. I will not think about them because it's context dependent. If the preacher's asking you questions, there are still things that will not cross your mind because you're talking to someone in a position of power. But when a fellow parishioner walks over and goes, like, I don't know if I believe this you have different angles to approach people from that'll put them into different mindsets that'll lead to different surface thoughts that'll lead to things that they would never say or think around you otherwise
3: the doppelganger still a person they can hear gossip they could hear rumors and if there's a rumor that you're sleeping with so-and-so in the middle of them doing confession they can turn into that person and sound just like them
1: and now they're top of mind all they need is a little bit of knowledge of psychology and uh, because you can take a person apart just with that add in the ability to read whatever's popping to the top of their head as you're doing it and yeah you got them
2: because just thematically when you're telling that story the grand perversion like the, the whole idea of confession is that you can be forgiven but you have to seek forgiveness but what if you go in there and you're doing it like going through the motions and you're seeking forgiveness and in the middle of it the priest goes Okay, that's all well and good. I mean, you're, you're absolved of that. What about this, though? <laughs> why haven't you brought this up? Because if you were going to feel sorry about something, I promise you it was this.
3: Like making a murderer talk to their victims. They read your thoughts.
1: So it's just like, why did you murder me? Once you get the ball rolling, because you can keep reading the thoughts, like you you just just go, have like, so it starts much momentum. here and it goes deeper. Those
2: scenes would be so fucking fun.
3: Their powers can be used for such good, such art, or such villainy, that the fact that the
2: default is their hedonistic, you know... The fact is, like, they're not even really schemers, they're like, they're shitty con artists, like, we'll we'll convince... (laughs) They're running a Nigerian print scam, (laughs) like... That's what you came up with, guys? Like, is either he'll be a sneaky murderer, or he'll, like, they'll form a small family.
1: A lot of the suspicions towards the
2: doppelganger
1: feel the same as the suspicions geared towards the trans community. There's this idea that trans people are hiding their true nature, that they're trying to deceive you by being something other than who they are. When in reality, it's the exact opposite. They're pulling themselves out from under the assumptions that have been forced on them and showing themselves exactly who they are. And then they're told, no, we don't accept the truth of who you are. Go back to being what we assume you are. Doppelgangers feel like they're dealing with echoing of that. I think that's kind of why
3: Wizards chumped out and said that, you know, uh, doppelgangers can only create offspring with other creatures because trying to explain a binary to a doppelganger would just be like, what? I, I'm I'm either male or female. Why? Yeah, that's just wrong. <laughs> right. A. Wrong. B. No. And I, I think that really kind of shows just how limited our thinking is where we create this beautiful creature, right? And we're just like, but it has to take the form of someone else and a gender that we understand in order to procreate.
2: It's not even that hard because, like, quite frankly, I I did my research. I dug into, like, is there a mythology behind doppelgangers? Uh, Fun fact for the audience, (laughs) there isn't. A guy made up the word in 1796 and then we just started applying it to myths that already existed. The doppelganger isn't a thing. (laughs) There are
1: countless stories of shape changers in mythologies all over the world, but they're all like person into beast or beast into person. This idea of a humanoid that becomes any other humanoid just didn't exist. I think there's a beauty to the doppelganger in the sense that in its its
3: natural state, it just is. Like,
1: are you male or female? I I, I am. Yes, no. Yes or no. Yeah, maybe. I simply am. Whatever you need to think, that's the answer.
2: Even if you play the fucking shitty bioessentialist version of gender, if you go with like these straight X and Y chromosomes, it's like walking up to a bird and saying like, so are you male or female? Like, what do you mean? Do you have X or Y, like double X or XY? And birds don't have either. Their genders work on different genetics and different rules entirely. You can't ask that question. It's not real. Because if you wanted to really create a situation where you've like gate limited uh, doppelgangers in terms of like just progeny, then you make it one of those things where like doppelgangers inherently read other doppelgangers thoughts, make it make it just a like recognize like things. So like I can concentrate and read the mind of a, of a man or an elf or some dwarves, but if there are other doppelgangers around, I hear them like, OK, so then their cultures remain to like smaller family units because otherwise it just gets too noisy and you can't really get stuff done. Okay, fine. Great. You've you've done it. Now they're small and they're not going to overrun the world and it won't just all be doppelgangers all the way down.
1: I do really like the idea of doppelgangers always being able to pick each other out. No matter what form they're in, they boom. Or like, even in general, like, what if just shapeshifters in general? Like, if a doppelganger and a silver dragon both in costume had like a high ball past each other, they would just like, (laughs) nod and wink,
2: game, (laughs) nose game, and then just continue on. A doppelganger specifically can only turn into a creature it has seen before, not a species it has seen before, a person. They can't shift to be shorter, shift to be taller, shift to be like, you don't get to move your proportions around, you get to move to be that guy. I had a
3: doppelganger that would go around and shift into people that they saw from paintings. Oh, that's cool. To avoid accidentally being an actual person, they turned it to the Mona
1: Lisa. You would occasionally get that photo on the internet where you're like, look, it's like the <laughs> Mona Lisa in real life walking around. And that just was a doppelganger. A They're like, oh shit, I
2: gotta change faces. Or you go with the Animorphs rules of you can like synthesize a person. I've seen that guy, that guy, that guy. That. I like his hair. I like that nose. I like that chin a
1: doppelganger in modern time doing the magazine cutout thing this person's (laughs) eye this person's hair this chin and then there i am
2: oh man you know what scene i like for the for the doppelganger movie is the day where they do that like the doppelganger shows up he's at the fucking apartment with somebody else he's like we got to get you out in public but you got to turn into somebody well what if we just built him a personality so he's not turning into someone there's no risk of running into okay and they do that and you have to see how fucking horrifying that would actually be
1: there's this whole montage where they work the whole thing out, they get, the, they get the person, they're ready to go, they panic at the last minute, the second they step outside, and they revert to what's easiest, which is grabbing their friend's hand and looking just like them. So now that person's got to pretend like they have a twin, because, the, <laughs> because there's no other way to get around it. So now I've got a twin, and that's the game that we have to play at the whole time.
2: The ideas we've spun out on, like, just plots and world developments and things you could do with doppelgangers are mostly just things that we've come up with during this episode specifically. Like, I looked into background, I double checked mechanics, I quite frankly hadn't given enough thought to, like, how I would use doppelgangers if they were a player species as opposed to a monster. And the moment we triggered that, that's what this episode has been. We haven't talked about a monster yet. We haven't gotten into the stat block or how you would use it in an encounter, because why would you talk about that? That's so fucking boring. They have high dexterity. They're people. Nothing particularly remarkable otherwise. They have gymnast level dexterity. It's an 18 dexterity and then a good stat line otherwise. That's that's about it. Nothing worth talking about. But like, aside from the shape changer, they have advantage on basically they have surprise attacks uh, and ambushes. They they have a first round sneak attack. They can't do it multiple times, which for the record just is a design choice. I love the DM gets to worry just about like this goes off at the start of combat and I don't have to fucking think about who's flanking or what's next. Anybody else is just he did it. It's done advantage on attack rolls against surprise creatures and then the only thing that i think is weird is that it specifically calls its attack action a slam, a slam attack yeah that is weird but it's a d6 plus four bludgeoning damage which implies cause it's strength 11 dexterity 18 it implies that the slam is a dexterity move and that just sits odd with me yeah i don't really have a complaint about it aside from that's fucking weird
3: I, I'm, to me, I would justify it but with the whole reading thoughts thing, which is, they're quick enough to hit where it's gonna hurt the most. And the reason that they're quick enough to do that is because they're so used to being in other bodies, and their mind-reading ability is so on point, that it's just like, it's, I imagine every every doppelganger fights like Sherlock in the Robert Downey Jr. Sherlock movie.
2: Normally, we finish out by just talking about like, how would you change the doppelganger in D&D? So I'm just going to say out front, first change, make it a playable species, scrap the changeling because the changeling is less interesting than the doppelganger. For the purposes of this conversation, let's talk about it in context of an adversary. This is the monster. How do you make the stat block in the monster manual more interesting?
3: I think this is one of those monsters that becomes a lot more interesting with class levels or at least with its stat block looking a lot more like a a character sheet. One of the most dangerous things about the doppelganger isn't what it can do in combat, it's what it can do outside of combat. And like the skills that we get are deception and insight.
1: Insight works, deception seems like, well, if you chose to be
3: they can also benefit from having uh, the alert feet and the actor feet like inherent to the character
2: the actor feet hands down so what i'll put out point out in the uh, persuasion element is the fact that read thoughts specifically gives them advantage on insight deception intimidation and persuasion checks against whoever's mind they're reading at a given moment So like I can kind of get on board when you're treating it as an adversary, deception is more important. Like when you're introducing it to the player as something they're against and then they have the bonus to persuasion kind of baked into their abilities there
3: sorry i'm just looking at more of the character sheet they have a medium monstrosity shape changer neutral but the descriptions are reading like they're
2: fucking evil chaotic neutral or neutral evil in the kinder reads but quite frankly that entire stat block taken together is chaotic evil. Like, we don't have our own society. We go in to steal and pillage everything around us. We read everyone's mind and take their things. And then we don't even raise our kids. We just give our kids to other people, laugh, and then go, you're raising a doppelganger, idiot. Which also, if your kid turns out to be a doppelganger and it can only turn into people that it's seen before, especially because doppelgangers uh, only can change like across size categories, you can go to small or medium. So if you've got a toddler, maybe they just turn into you and suddenly you're looking at a six foot tall reflection who is oh, a toddler God, they terrifying. would too that's absolutely what would happen just a wildly because it's you're a kid they
1: wouldn't be able to why control their powers your at first, or know why they'd be using them they would just be a blah blah blah. let's the give them
2: infinite competence they do know how to control their powers but if you're a kid and you can turn into your dad so that you can reach the cookies oh 100% you would I am very hungry honey <laughs> I went to dad school today.
4: Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice.
2: Can you tell me a little bit about the job that kind of broke it for you? Not necessarily like the one where you morally kind of broke, but just like when you knew you were done, when the idea of retirement really like crystallized for you. So the assassin's guild that I work for,
3: they they needed to grab a high uh, a high level politician. Uh, And they needed to work some information out of him. Now, this is a guy that can't just go missing. Uh, So we went in with a team. We rendered the politician unconscious. And I was, as I was trained to do, uh, I was placed as his replacement uh, for the time being. If he gave us the information we wanted, there's a chance that we give him his life back. If not, then uh, he has disappeared and I keep up appearances until such time as I have an unfortunate accident uh, traveling to one of my destinations. It's, it's a maneuver that we've done plenty of times. Fantastic. Uh, however, this is the first time that I replace somebody with a family. That was something that I was trained for. Uh, but there are some, there are some things that uh, when you encounter them in the abstract, uh, they are a lot different than when you actually come face to face with them. I've never had the role of a caring uh, mother, uh, wife, and uh, and so this this was something that um, was very unsettling. Fair. And so that was the job where uh, where I decided that I can't do this any longer. <laughs> Unfortunately, the politician uh, had a very tragic encounter with the highwayman. I still. Tend to the uh, kid uh, as uh, a recently hired uh, nanny. Miss The
0: water's boiling. Hello!
2: Where you misdoubt... you, you went back you and, misdoubt- and fired it? the family of the <laughs> woman you murdered? That's fantastic. Ah, <laughs> oh, that's... <laughs> Listen, my morality is a little skewed. <laughs> no, that makes perfect sense in a weird roundabout way. I can get on board with that. What name do you go by now, or names?
3: Uh, I go by Tabby. Uh, Tabitha, uh, Tabby, or Tabitha's uh, is, is a lovely painting uh, that hangs in the local market. It's it's a very uh very gentle, soft individual with uh, lovely head wrappings, very light makeup, and very colorful uh, clothing. Um, uh, very different than the stoned, cold, tall, exact, uh, politician that I was before.
2: And it's perfect because the market, like, a rich family like that isn't coming down to the market. They'll never see it.
3: Uh, and also the picture has, uh, since been removed
1: Somebody took it.
2: <laughs> just, just in a strange
1: accident, it got knocked down. We've got now from Mrs. Doubtfire just a straight on Dorian Gray. We're just doing a little <laughs> combo episode here.
2: We'll get another reference in by the end of her.
3: <laughs> I couldn't, I couldn't destroy the painting because I might need to refresh it. I haven't memorized it yet.
2: <laughs> Tabitha, at the end of the day, do you live, like, are you a live-in nanny or do you go to a home?
3: Uh, I am a live-in nanny. Uh, Ever since uh, the woman of the house passed, uh, the husband does not know what to do. It was very easy to convince them to allow me to stay uh, and cook and tend to the house. Um, It has been rather difficult learning to cook and learning how to tend to the house. Um... (laughs) Uh, but, uh, you know, luckily I'm able to steal from the neighbors enough, uh, so that I can present their cooked meals as our (laughs) own.
2: Fantastic. All right, Aram, what's your
1: name? My character's name is Dinaris.
2: What was it that gave the Guild that little hint, that realization that Tabitha, whatever they called themselves back in the day, what let them know where Tabitha is? Dinoris is a hunter. Dinaris
1: is the one that they send out to bring people back. You're the one that they send out to replace. She just drags them back. And... Her job, especially as a centaur, would be much easier at times if she could become someone else. So she always has been very jealous of your ab- <laughs> of your ability. And that's probably what started the animosity. And then it just grew from there, where she just doesn't like you. You're just a show off. And she's not a fan of that. So I would say that they don't know. You're... You got clean away. But my character hates your character so much and is so angry that you turned on us that she's been roaming the countryside where you last were going town to town and using her primeval awareness to see if you're anywhere around. And if you're not in that town, she goes on to the next one. And she just arrived at the front gates. Oh
2: boy. (laughs) So this wasn't even like you were, you're not a fucking particularly like clever hunter. This wasn't Mm -hmm. like following a trail of clues. This was brute force. Like, I will know when I find him. Yep. Noir, what brings Tabitha out of the house?
3: Well, I, uh, I have to, uh, very quickly go to a different neighbor. I've kind of cycled them out uh, every day to pretend to be either uh, a lawn maintenance individual or a janitor uh, and then swipe their dinner. Um,
2: <laughs> Absolutely.
3: Sometimes uh, I see if I can convince some of the lawn maintenance and cleaners to come to our place and clean.
2: That's right, because you've been replacing like people worthy of assassination. You were. Yeah, you've been replacing upper class aristocrats and nobles and bureaucrats. You don't have that skill set whatsoever.
3: No, I can Fair take
1: enough. a speech, uh, but I can't <laughs> Grub a bathtub? All your characters look, like, perfect, right? On point, all the mannerisms, everything. But they're also all incredibly fancy and incredibly perfect. And like, like, oh, well, my, well, mom, I couldn't be possibly bothered. Like, like they just can't break out of that. I got this painting that I need to keep looking at because I keep wanting to make
3: her fancy, but she's not. Gotta remember where she came from. I gotta dupe these suckers into cleaning uh, up for me, and uh, sometimes I just go and I talk to the other nannies. So I, and, like, I just ask them things so I can pilfer information. uh I, I, it's been it's been a couple of days. I think I figured out this diaper changing thing.
2: <laughs> and there's there's one woman. Uh she's. She's been mildly annoyed with you, but at the same time, like, you know what you're doing, and she sees it. So it's one of those things where, like, that's why the incompetence is annoying. Like, you've clearly been doing this job for a while. I've seen you around. How do you not know these things? You're so good at the things you learn to do. How have you not already? And so she's, like, running you through, like, a quick dessert recipe. You got trapped as you're, like, trying to get out of the kitchen. And she's like, no, 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 hold on. I want to show you this. Okay. She's like, she's got some sugar caramelizing. She's got the apples in it. She's like, we're going to take some pastry. We're going to put it over this when we bake it. Now, this seems really sticky, but goes through this entire process, and as you're sort of hearing this explanation and you can, like, you can hear at the top of her head as she's running through, like, the next few steps. I really think she's going to get this. Like, when she makes this for the family, they'll be so impressed. They'll be so, like, It's going to look fantastic. She's really trying to help you, and in the back of those things, you just hear kind of almost a low rumbling thought. Aram, what is it? I know you're
1: close.
3: I'm going to ask
1: her in the
3: midst of, in the midst of her explaining this recipe to me. Do you mind if I ask you a question that is going to seem entirely um out of nowhere?
2: There is like the half thought of like, oh, what is this going to be? But the words that come out of her mouth, are
3: no, please. If I were the most terrifying person in the world to you right now, and I walked up to you intent on ruining your life, what would you say?
2: She's kind of like looking around and there's like, The thoughts just kind of race through on the surface, like, is this going to be a betrayal? Is this like, what are you going on about? She's been reading too much. 30, 40 thoughts run through before she just settles on, do I know their intentions? You do. In fact, you know for sure that they have
3: a personal grievance against you, and even though it's not actually you that they want, They will blame you regardless. So what would you think if this were to happen to you now, man?
2: Well, if I were in a position where I needed to defend myself, say in this very moment, I can tell you that the heat required to melt sugar is actually extraordinarily high. And it sticks quite badly, and anyone trying to scrape molten sugar from their arms or their face would certainly be slowed down enough for me to have an opportunity to gather my thoughts. The entire time, there's just this low undercurrent in her head applauding her own brilliance. That was wonderful.
3: And it also made me remember that I need to caramelize the sugar.
2: No, you could just, like, let the syrup reduce a little bit, but then it's going to retain a lot more of the sweetness, and with the apples, you want those sort of bitter notes. It's very important to kind of balance out the whole dish.
3: I will—I will remember that, um, you have been just wonderful, thank you so much. I will make this for my family.
2: I'll watch it, I won't let it burn.
3: Of course. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, That is the only thing I've ever
4: developed.
2: Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Nothing else going on. It's just a normal day.
3: (laughs) He just walks out, saying hello to all the people out there. Like, hello to the lawn care folks. Hello to the neighbors.
2: (laughs) I'm going to make this offer, um, but I, I think we both know the answer. Are you trying to be even remotely stealthy? None
1: whatsoever. No, no. She is, first of all, she's a centaur.
2: Yeah, no, I didn't think it was really possible, but I was willing to let you try to pitch me on something. <laughs> she is
1: a dramatic centaur. She has a huge head of hair. It's thick and long, and then it like wraps back and she has it tied back into her, you know, mane. Like, she is a proud centaur, and she shows herself as a centaur. She is going straight down the middle of a main street, looking from stall to stall, and she's very tall, so she can just like, look over everyone, right? Huge longbow strapped to her back, and she has this crystal sphere that she keeps kind of rolling in one hand. It's about eight or night at night right now, but there's a lot of torchlight around her. And she's just definitely hunting. She's looking for something.
2: I don't have to do any narration for that one, Noir. You know exactly what's going on. There is like, the reason you were taught this dish is the, the house that you're in has a handful of apple trees growing through the property. So you're like, just obfuscated, but it's very easy to track, like There is a relative positioning that occurs between horse legs and people head when someone is riding a horse, and this is incorrect. Just enough to kind of like trip those danger senses, and then you recognize the voice from your head and then you really get a look at the face and you know exactly what's happening here.
3: I'm actually doing a scan nearby to see what other people think about this. Okay, give me an insight roll.
2: Insight. That's a 13. Mostly people are just kind of like taken aback. So there's like a couple of folks that are eyeing this with like full blown open. Oh, no. But for the most part, it's just people going like centaurs don't come into the city much. What name did I know you by?
0: Uh,
3: You knew me
0: by Roa. Roa! Have you seen Roa? Do you know of a...
1: Doesn't want to give like doesn't want to say doppelganger. Because I just want to frighten people and knows that you're too clever to let anyone know. So it's like a uh,
0: person by this name.
2: And you're getting people who are like giving you all the standard answers of like, no, there's a couple. Like, I think I knew a guy, but like he moved away pretty a while back. I went to high school with that guy. It is, it, did he look like?
0: Has anyone acted strangely in this town lately? And she shakes a bag of silver
2: and attention lies to you. There are rumors, nearly nothing useful because Tabitha, unfortunately, worked seamlessly. No one is telling you about that politician's house because a mother, a wife, a fucking pillar of the community was killed by bandits. And then of course the staff was a little bit off, you know, the father was weird, the kids were unhappy but like they're pulling their stuff together they have some new staff on to help out like that's all that's all pretty fucking run of the mill relative to like oh my husband lately he's been staying out and there's been like you're getting all of those very i
1: was smarter i might have been able to put together that that might be the same family but i would never expect you to go back to that same family and hang out with them. So I don't think I'd make the connection there.
2: No, it's a cop rule that you go back to the scene of the crime, but you're a criminal. So that's not a thing they teach you.
1: She stops for a moment, and she looks like she's having a memory. Like the camera pulls in, the music shifts a bit, and then just stops and pulls right by. Right by. Nope, okay. <laughs> she hands out a couple of silver,
2: and she keeps clopping along. You even hear it, Noir. You get the whole, like...
0: Wait, is this the town where No, that doesn't make any sense That'd be weird
3: Anyway I'm going to go in the house and grab a basket And start plucking apples And I'm going to head over To my
1: friend here Fantastic Uh, I, I hear you calling for a roa And she would just swing around And she's just I mean, even for a centaur She's massive
0: Yes You know her
2: Ram, I'm going to give you an immediate insight check because I feel like there's a certain (laughs) degree of smugness playing here.
1: Oh, I've got I've got decent insight. That's going to be a 13 plus five is 18. I'm going to roll a deception. Uh, That is a 19. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so so she turns and she looks at you when you say that name and there's this moment where her eyes just narrow as she's staring you down and she's quiet for a good half
0: a minute and then nods. Yes, that is who I am looking for. Do you know them? I'm afraid not, friend, but I think that
3: you might be making some people in the town a little nervous. Uh, If she passes you up. basket of apples.
1: Okay. A giant hand reaches down, (laughs) plucks one up like between two fingers and she takes it back and just... And it's gone in a bite, right? And she's like staring at you, but she's like chewing and then like her eyes kind of open because like it's a really good apple and like centaurs are kind of like apples.
2: Yeah, you got (laughs) it's human mouth, but horse response to apples. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Oh, like this giant eyes, right? The ears perk up like, oh, oh, oh.
0: Mm. these are... Those are quite good apples. I've been on the road for some time. Thank you, stranger. What is your name?
3: I am Tabitha. I am the nanny for uh, the, uh, I'm going to give them a the last name, the Cuthberts here. There's been a tragic accident that has occurred in my family's home. And the town here is already on edge, so I just wanted to welcome you to the town. Uh, And perhaps yelling is not the best way to find who you're looking for. Uh, I know that there's a tavern just outside of town to the north. You might have more luck there, my friend.
0: I know for a fact that they're here. I have ways of tracking My prey, I know they are within these town walls somewhere. Just looking over your head, looking left and right, just right
1: over your head.
3: (laughs) Well, best of luck. Uh, I I do hope that whoever this Roa person is, that uh, whatever they did wrong, uh,
0: they can make amends for somehow. Thank you. I appreciate your counsel. Help your family as well. And thank you for the apple. Okay, it's my pleasure. We've got the whole tree full, so enjoy your fill.
1: <laughs> she actually takes a, like like she didn't ask. She just like like takes another apple on the way out, yeah, and just <laughs> walks on.
3: <laughs> and then Tabitha's immediately going to walk back to the house and
2: look for anything that's a poison you could put in the apple. Why don't you give me a nature check? I'm gonna I'm gonna bend the rules on this one. Normally we play really really by the book with the monster stats. I'm gonna say over the course of this, you get three proficiencies. You're gonna get three skills. Yeah. So if you want to just as they come up, declare it. I, I think your proficiency bonus is plus two.
1: Yeah. Doing what you do, there's no way you wouldn't understand poisons. It just makes total sense. You how you you would have some.
3: Yeah, I would—I would, I would give—I'm going to put my 3 in Sleight of Hand, Stealth, and Poisoner's Kick. Alright, so with that, with the plus 3, it's going to be 17 on the poisoning. or
1: i finding the poison— Oh, the poison for Cusco! Cusco's Poison. Okay. <laughs> so I'd, like, circle around for an hour, and then like be clomping on my way back. And then on my way back, that globe that I was holding, I've released it. And now it's hovering right by my side. And it's glowing with a nice soft glow that casts about 30 feet of light around me as I walk back through the town square.
2: The thing you're aware of, Nor, is uh, Aroa, Tabitha, whoever you're acting as at the moment. Uh, The thing you're aware of is basically a lot of poisons, uh, if they're liquid, they tend to be a little bitter. Part of the reason you put poison, like a poison powder, a poison liquid into a drink is because it can dissolve, it can incorporate. For something that works specifically on an apple, it would be brutally difficult to like integrate a poison into a solid object with a fucking near relatively speaking, impervious skin on it. You would have to find a way to, like, say, cut the apple open and get something on the apple that would inherently add a little bit of bitterness that would really disguise the taste somehow.
1: I think I learned a pretty dope recipe specifically for this. Right. God damn it, Dylan. Are you just going to make this a cooking recipe? Is this just going to be a cooking show? You know what? (laughs) Oh, looks like some sugar's about to
3: get caramelized. (laughs) <laughs> so I am going to start working on that recipe. I'm going to make a healthy batch for my family, clearly marked to the side, and a, a batch for our guest. Uh, and I would love a word with the man of the house while I'm cooking, if I could.
2: Absolutely. You you give it some time, because part of this is like you you make your caramel and then you put the apples into it. It sputters a little bit. So you just kind of like take the apple kind of coat it in this liquid and you know like once it hits the heat it's not quite enough to deactivate the poison it's almost gonna concentrate it, just to make sure that that bite is gonna suck within like 20-ish minutes it's gonna take some processing but it's gonna be bad
3: i wrote a performance check to see how well i cooked i got a 20
2: wood fuck yeah no this is a perfect tartartana (laughs) you're fucking rocking it like you know that the only thing that that i needed
3: to motivate me was murder
2: (laughs) this is the benefit is like when you get afraid like you're a little like not not to say that you're terrified by a stretch but like your hands start to get cold and it turns out when you're working with something like like a short crust or really anything where you want to like not melt the butter you know you need cold fingers it's working great (laughs)
3: jesus this, this episode just turned into an episode of Iron Chef and I'm about to kill a citizen with some baked goods.
2: The man of the house, uh Adelbrick Cuthbert, uh your your former husband and now your boss. Yeah, um sorry, you you needed something? I'm trying out a new recipe
3: from, uh, from one of the neighbors, and I go to the healthy pile, (laughs) and I hand him one.
2: It's got that nice, really kind of brown top to it, it looks fucking beautiful, it is pristine, uh, and there's a moment where he looks up and, and I was concerned today, I saw you fraternizing with the other help, and I, you had duties to attend to, I was quite irritated, but I must say visual alone this is this is quite stunning. If this tastes anything like it looks, we have no problems whatsoever, Tabitha. Your work has been spectacular, and I am so happy to not have to be angry with you. I am very happy
3: that you aren't angry with me as well. I could kill you. Anyway, uh, there's hmm? oh, that, nothing. So there... I don't know if you saw, there is a centaur walking about the town. Yes, the horse beast. I, I had a lovely conversation uh, with uh, the, our centaur friend, but he seems rather rough around the edges. Personally, I don't know that he's good for the morale of the town. I, I, I can't do anything about it, but perhaps you might be able to... <sighs> I don't know, talk to some of the guards, make sure that, uh...
2: Give me a persuasion. I
1: forgot you're in a rich household. What's the rich household gonna do? They're gonna summon the guards, yeah.
3: (laughs) Why do you think this is a dream for me? Why do you think I picked this character? (laughs) So I could use the Karen powers for myself!
2: (laughs) They have been causing problems, and there was... And then, like, the moment he starts talking, you remember uh, when, when the job was done here, you came in with a mage, and you watch as, like, he walked into the room and cast a spell, and it just grabbed his mind, and he just froze in spot. Don't bring it up to him. Everything will be fine. Don't worry about it. And you see, for the first time in months, that spell fray just a little bit as he brings up no and there was that night when my I can take care of that certainly
3: wonderful
2: there's nothing more important than the safety of the neighborhood I could I could alert the guards but they won't be around I could just let the neighborhood watch know
3: I mean, I didn't, I'm not one to to tell on people, but I think I saw the centaur taking some apples from my tree. Oh, you bitch.
2: Haram. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A little bit of time passes. Let's say
1: 30, 40 minutes. Yeah, I went to that damn inn. I went all the way to the end of town. I went to that inn. It, there was like two guys in there and they knew nothing. And now I'm just frustrated.
2: And you've been wandering around like you have the little like handful of apples you grabbed out of the basket that you've been just kind of eating, dropping cores. I ate like five apples just as we
1: were talking and then just casually took the whole, just put my hand under the basket. It was a pleasure to meet you and just wrote off like it was nothing. And have just been eating them like candy
2: ever since. So you have uh, two folks come over. They are four four humans, relatively tall. For you, chest dish height.
1: They're walking in that manner that humans like to walk in when they think they're tough.
2: When they think they're important (laughs) and they're walking with that intent where they're coming towards you and they're not shy about it.
1: I would take a bite of my apple.
2: Uh, Hello. Um, They kind of like give you the up and down. Madam? Okay, we're not starting off well. (laughs) She cracks her
0: shoulders and she kind of leans in. Gentlemen?
2: Is it? guardsman would be more appropriate. All right, then. Officer. Can I ask where you, uh, where you got your hands on those apples there? I was talking to a very nice young lady,
0: and she offered me these apples.
2: Well, that's, that's a very, very interesting story, because those, uh, that particular that particular type of apple, we we tend to grow uh, more in the uh, Granny Smith varietal. Something that red. They're very tasty, and I do understand the temptation, but they're only grown in one orchard around here. It would happen that Mr. Cuthbert mentioned that someone was uh, taking his apples and just uh, trotting off with them. Do I look like
0: I hopped a fence, and when walking around in someone's yard, officer, don't you think that may have garnered some suspicion? How about this? And she looks down at this basket of which, like, three apples left, even though there's
2: like thirty of them. Yeah.
0: How much would you say a basket of apples costs in your town,
2: ma'am? This isn't the sort of thing where we're really worried about you buying your way out of the problem. I just want to know how you came by them. There has been a bit of a suspicious uh, confluence of events. We're just trying to make sure we have a full understanding of what happened here tonight. She stomps
1: three times, dragging her hoof each time. And she leans
0: down and looks at this officer. You have a doppelganger and I am here hunting them.
2: I want you to roll me an intimidation check. Hell yeah. I'll give you, I'll give you advantage. Cause quite frankly, you're probably like fucking nine feet tall and you have a horse butt. (laughs) That's fucking, that'd throw you off your game.
1: First roll is an 18 and the second
2: roll is a 19. This guy is immediately taken aback. How would a doppelganger even... Someone would know it. And his buddy immediately just taps him on his shoulder and goes, no they, no, they wouldn't. That's the point of them." And immediately the first officer just shuts up. Officer,
0: a young lady from that house you speak of gave me these apples and sent me on my way. Why don't you accompany me to this household?
2: They look between each other and there's a moment of thought where it like... It looks like they're trying to, like, basically read each other's minds. After a second, one just kind of nods to the other as if it did, and then says, I think it's best if we all had a, a nice conversation to really get to the bottom of what's going on. And you head off towards the Cuthbert Manor.
3: Verse. <laughs> Look, I'm still, I'm still new to using this privileged weapon. I'll get you next time.
2: <laughs> the guardsmen start approaching the manor. They're coming with the centaur. The moment you see them coming down, you can read body language like fucking no one's business. This is, this is your bread and butter, and there is a certainty. To Daenerys' stride, horse legs don't strut, particularly, but goddamn if they could. I'm cantering. Can I get surface thoughts? Aram, give us your cantering surface thoughts. I got her. I got her. Oh, wait. All right, hang on. We gotta be careful, because she's tricky. She real, She's really
0: tricky. I, I can't let my guard down for a moment. And then you would see her like...
1: Withdraw her bow from her back. She's not. She doesn't have an arrow drawn. It's just kind of casually to her side, but she's shifting into hunter mode.
2: There's a knock at the door.
3: Oh, we weren't expecting guests. This is uh, a pleasant surprise. Oh, hello. And I just kind of
2: waved everyone. Is uh, Mr. Cuthbert in tonight? Please let me go get him. I'll be right back. And you. Go off, he's in the study, he's having a quick cigar, reading through some documents from work this evening. The guard
3: there are guards uh, at our door with the centaur. I suppose you weren't able Why to. Why would take they care bring her here? I, I don't know, but they are here. And they asked to speak to you.
2: Bring them in, make sure uh make sure the guards take off the boots and have the centaur. Be careful, I suppose.
3: Um, to get to your study uh, that requires the use of stairs,
2: Um, will our centaur friends? I can get up them fine with two legs. I'm sure four makes it easier. <laughs> he just goes back to his
3: reading. <laughs> and so um, I'm just going to go, um, Mr. Cuthbert will see you now.
1: She's like, oh, shit shit, I'm going to have to go in a house and boy, does she hate being in a house. There's just so many things to knock over. And she's instantly like that aura
2: of confidence drained from her face. Rich people houses, high ceilings, big doors. So you're you're usually pretty good on that. That being said, uh, when the gesture is made towards the staircase. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's like my kryptonite looking at me right now. It's like like I could I could leap a I could leap
1: a ten foot fence at a at a dead trot, <laughs> but boy, man, these stairs. All right, uh, I'm gonna roll athletics. I guess <laughs> I guess.
2: Uh, right? I think it would be acrobatics, it's dexterity based, <laughs> oh. the DC is like fucking five. Alright, alright.
3: <laughs> if this is the thing that takes you out, I'm gonna be so happy. <laughs>
1: right, right. It's like, it's like a marble floor, it's just like, 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 like her, it's, like, it's so loud, it's like bang,
2: bang, bang, she's going through. You know like, when you're like a little unsteady, like if you're coming back from like a night of drinking and you take every stair and it's like step onto the stair and then your other foot steps onto the same stair. Yeah. And it's and it's marble and I've got hooves. So it's
1: it's got to be like being in socks on Marvel, right? Like this is not my preferred Oh Yeah, this is this is not stellar. (laughs) All right. I got for acrobatics. I have a plus three. Nine plus three is twelve. It's not clean, but it happens. Right. There's lots of wobbling. It's like I'm. It's like I'm trying to do it in heels. There's just like you know, exactly. never quite on balance. Yeah.
3: I'll have to clean these stairs again, but that is fine.
1: <laughs> <laughs> just get shot this. You have to shot this look like like I have not figured it out yet, but I'm not liking you as much as I liked you before.
2: You are led to this study, uh, Daenerys. You're you're a hunter. You. St- you pay attention to your senses, so you catch the whiff of smoke, that's, that's a cigar. You know the brand, like, is expensive, you can catch notes to it, and that's the thing, a shitty cigar smells like tobacco and garbage, but there's, there's complexity to it.
3: This is the master of the house, I will go get water and treats for everyone so that you can eat something as you discuss.
2: You had a spare tart, would you—would you be so kind? I would love to bring the tarts to you all, yes. The
1: Nars is super excited, like, trying to stay focused, but here's, like—like, the apples were good, the desserts have to be
2: amazing.
3: Yeah, I'm—I'm putting an extra dose of something.
2: If there's any leftover, do you, like, split the between the plates? Is this like a coordinated precision going after the centaur, take down the hunter? Or is this just like, and fuck them all? <laughs> you know what?
3: They had a simple job to do. <laughs> so, so fuck them all. Uh, I can be a dad. <laughs> <laughs> I can be your dad.
1: I can literally be your dad.
3: Yeah. So, yeah. Wow. They're all.
1: They're all getting fucked. <laughs> Fantastic. You know what? Okay. I mean, you're better. Like, like he's a jerk. He's probably terrible to the kids. You'd be a better father. You probably I mean, love I, these I, kids. I
3: play with them. I talk to them. I was this close, I was this close to spilling the beans to the to the little one that uh because I, I like to imagine like while I was pretending to be the mom, the kid was kind of like, You're not my mom. <laughs> it's like, you shut the fuck up, Timmy.
2: <laughs> okay, so Real quick, GM huddle. Uh, what do we feel like is reasonable for this poison? I'm thinking because you you rolled like you rolled pretty fucking good. I think the die roll should be the difficulty. They rolled a 19. The difficulty should be 19 for effect. I was thinking uh, poisoned condition at baseline for let's say three rounds. Give you, give you Let's good talk headset. about poison for a second here, as, as long
1: as we're going to go down this. Um, yeah. Poison sucks in D&D 5e, it, it really absolutely does. sucks, yeah. there should be a hit, and then another hit later, and it should be scary and continuous, not this little like, ow, and then it's gone.
2: I think that's fair in a long-term game, for here we're doing something relatively short, so what I was going to say is, on a failed save, poisoned as a condition just like it is going to hit you and it's going to throw you off your game for a couple of rounds what do we think is a reasonable damage for a failed save if I succeed if you succeed you're poisoned and damage if I fail then you just get the condition it's throwing you off your stomach is actively trying to eat you alive Here's what I'm going to pitch uh, for the thing, is the, the poison condition for the poison itself. And then do we want to treat this basically as your sneak attack thing? We can do with the 3d6 poison damage as opposed to doing your surprise attack. Oh, hell yeah. That's smart. I like that a lot. It's a good way to sort of split the difference between the mechanics, I figure. Oh, hell yeah. And it represents the character well. You come back, Tabitha. Dinaris has kind of been relegated to like back of the room, arms crossed as the the guards try to like hash it out. Yeah, where am I gonna sit? Trying to figure out what's going on. But I see a tray. I'm
1: assuming it's like one of those rolling trays, right? Just stacked high.
3: Oh yeah, it looks delectable. Oh.
1: <laughs>
2: My tail. <laughs>
3: Just brush
1: it against the wall.
2: Yeah. <laughs> the thing I oh, yeah. have been referencing, more or less ad nauseum. This is going to make me want a pastry, isn't you son of a bitch? <laughs> God, yes, I want them. So that's a tart tartan. You basically make a caramel in the bottom of a frying pan, stack the apples in it, in like a, in a cast iron, and then you put some puff pastry over the top of that and bake it real quick. Again, as a horse person. Apples, yes, but also as a person, I enjoy
1: candied and cooked apples, so it's the perfect combination of both things for me. This is literally the centaur of apples, is what I'm looking at right here, and I absolutely (laughs) want that.
2: You're the fucking worst person I've ever met.
1: (laughs)
3: There's wine as well. Uh, Please have your fill.
2: And the conversation, like, keeps going. Aram, do uh, do you give in to Temptation? I would immediately like, you
1: know, just scoop up the whole thing, that whole pie. And I'm just like I've got a piece out in one hand and I'm chomping on it and chewing as I'm listening and I'm starting to get impatient so I'm starting to ask questions. How long have you been here?
2: Please, my my family has lived here my entire life. I inherited a large portion of the the business from my father. I grew it considerably. When was that? And he lists off a year. I don't know how dates are working in this setting. Don't be a prick. Just
1: keeps pegging him with like really specific
2: questions like that. So a couple minutes into the conversation, ten ish minutes deep. I want you to make a constitution saving throw.
3: I'm on the other side of the door, do the classic chair under the door thing. Then I'm going to quickly go to like a shed or go go to our uh, maintenance area get nails and a board, and I'm just gonna put uh, a nail on the board and turn into—I'm gonna turn into the centaur, put my full weight against the hammer until it slides into the
2: wall. So, strictly speaking, you can only turn into small and medium humanoids, but also, fuck that, that's a cool scene, we're letting it happen. I'm gonna roll
1: my constitution. I am a horse. I am a horse, so Uh, my constitution save is pretty good. 13 plus 3 is 16.
3: 16!
2: We're going with the DC as uh, Noir's basically poison check. So that's a DC of 19, was it? Yep. Beautiful. Uh, Yeah, so literally everyone in the room fails. (laughs) We're giving this the damage of the... uh, Surprise attack. Which is 3d6. And that comes out to... Fifteen. Uh, they die. I see
1: them start to go down, and I like—I'm not quite sure what's happening—and then I see them all start to go down. Then I start to cough, and I like put like one hand down on this side table. My my whole bulk almost cracks it as I stumble to the aside and like knock over like this whole vase, and it comes crashing to the ground. And I look as they're all coughing and falling to their knees and turning blue, and then I realize, you know, I just put it all together. My eyes go to that door, and I charge over and grab the door and try and open it.
2: I need you to make me a strength check. All right. It's going to be DC.
3: 13 sound reasonable? Would this be at disadvantage because of poison?
2: It would, in fact, because when you fail that con save, you have the poison condition.
1: First roll is 13, so I've already failed, and the second roll is a is is, is a critical 20, which sucks. But the, I failed. I failed with a, thir- a
2: 13 plus 2 is 15. I, I just said the DC was 13. Earl. Yeah, you passed. I'm you sorry, passed. I passed. That's how that's how math works, bud. <laughs> I mean, no, no, you, cool.
1: you can, fail. You, can yeah, fail. you failed. You did a bad job. I go to open it. It's locked turn around, and with my back legs, just kick those doors down.
2: Just (laughs) slams in. You hear a screech as the wooden feet of the chair just grind against the marble where it's been really dug in. What's Tabitha been up to in the interim since the poison has taken effect? Aside from barricading the door, of course.
3: So I've got a nice uh, a nice little uh, lantern with me and I've just been dropping lamp oil as I walk through the house and as soon as I hear the crash uh, I change into the dead and then just fling the lantern <laughs> over my tree.
2: you hear that crash and then you hear like the sound of glass breaking and then there's just a just that puff of air, as that flame flies up the stairs, down the hallway, spreads in a couple of directions where you can actually see the flame break into two paths where they clearly were dribbling oil, and then came out of the room, and it all just goes up. There is a plush, beautiful carpet at your feet for about three more seconds.
1: There is nothing. A horse person is going to dislike more than being inside a building that is on fire.
2: Or um, I'm just going to quickly make uh, the point that literally no people like that. The horse <laughs> thing does not factor in.
1: Agreed, but I think I think horses would freak. I think that just like you look, you know, horses in a barman man, freak out a little bit more than people. That's, do is that's all fair, I'm that's saying. Fair. Okay. So I imagine whatever plan I had to hunt you down is now secondary to me retreating from the fire and running out of this house running backwards from fire until I am out
2: of house. You have cased this place. There is a roughly human-sized window at the end of this hallway. It might fit you, maybe. There's a chance you get stuck. We're going to find out. All right, I am going to use my (laughs) charge attack to charge that window. So we're going to make this an athletics roll because you want to have that charge. I'm going to give you advantage on it.
1: All right, uh, which is negated because I'm poisoned, so I have just Mm -hmm. a neutral roll. All right. So athletics, I have a plus 5, and I have rolled a 16, so that's 21.
2: You just kind of fold down as much as you can, kind of brace your body behind your I bring my legs
1: up, like, 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 I just leap at the last second, bring my legs up, bring my body down, and I'm basically just this thick, like, sausage (laughs) slamming through the window.
2: It hurts like a son of a bitch.
3: Noir, what you doing at the other end of the house? Alright, so come on Timmy. Um, there's the Centaur, it's attacking us again, so just hold on tight to me,
1: child, and I'll get us out of here. Oh, out, raging, and just circling the house. As I grab the
3: child, I would then like to go to the window of the child's room and yell, someone help! There's a centaur trying to kill us!
1: Son of a bitch. Son of a bitch. (laughs) I'm gonna use the terrain. The terrain just happens to be people.
2: (laughs) So, you come running down the hallway, you're screaming, just running up the main, uh, basically the main drive, just heading towards the gate, and you fling it open. The house is in flames. And you come walking around, and what we get is the entire town coming and running in.
3: I just, I just want to make it a point to, like, put suit and, like, like I want, to, I want some of my clothes to be burned. I want it to look like I went through hell to save my child.
2: You're coming out like you had gotten like soot on you to begin with and it's starting to collect on the wall. So just on the way out, you're almost walking like a drunk, just rubbing up against walls, bumping into stuff, just kind of rubbing your kid's hair like, no, it's fine. Daenerys comes around and you see the crowd at the far end and you see the noble, the dead man, the poisoned and burnt corpse that you know to be in the house walking away. What was your
1: name that I knew you of again? What did I, what? Rola. what Rola. And I'm just gonna pull back regardless of being in this full crowd, and I'm taking a shot.
2: Fire at disadvantage. And
1: there's like little black stars at the edge of my vision, and all the torchlight around me is playing like a kaleidoscope as I go to take this shot. Plus nine to hit, so the first one is going to be a 17 plus nine, which would be a hit. The second one, Nineteen plus nine.
3: Uh, can I, can I get a papa from my son? <laughs> papa. <laughs> and I'm
1: gonna
2: have you roll for damage, Aram.
1: So that damage is going to be six plus four is ten points of damage.
2: Oh, that's uh. a rough one. That's <gasps> it's terrifying because he gets you like just, just in the side, like just under the shoulder blade. So it still actually manages to come through your son has your your son has a scratch where like that arrow nearly went through you and into him he's trying to
3: kill my boy
2: and the crowd surges Rom, do you wanna take that bonus action in preparation for like the next round or uh
1: yeah, I am absolutely gonna have to do that. That yeah, I I, I I was so focused on my rage I was not paying attention to, you know, the crowd, which is unfortunate for me. So what I'm gonna do is that drift that that drift globe that's been beside me the whole time, as they surge towards me. I'm going to close my eyes, and I'm going to say the command word for it to turn into daylight. So then suddenly, in this darkness, it is blinding daylight.
2: Oh, Jesus Christ. Uh, That was a 4 and a 7, just… So they're going to be blinded immediately in the huge flash of light.
3: Okay, I'm going to take this arrow out of me. Uh, and then I would like to use thoughts on whoever I think is the most influential person in town other than myself.
2: You see a guard captain, uh, when- when the screaming started, like, he had heard that there were problems with the centaur, and, like, that's- problem with a wanderer, like somebody coming through town, not that big a deal, but the centaur was armed, and this seemed dangerous, so he came- not running but he was where when the fire started he was surging over
3: i am going to make my way to him and plead he's gonna kill me and my boy he's already killed two guards at tabitha
2: roll me persuasion with advantage because you are reading his thoughts and you just play every word to what he's worried about
3: that is going to be a natural 20.
2: fuck yes Why does the guard captain care about Tabitha?
3: Tabitha would, uh, whenever making the rounds and kind of stealing food from people, would make sure to flirt with the guard captain. Uh, It's always good to have the strongest guy in town, you know, warning you. And so, you know, she would bring the desserts from the families that she would steal the dinner from.
2: And you say that, and you watch his eyes just go hard. And one of the hands just drops off your shoulder and just goes to the mace goes, You keep going. Keep Tim safe. We'll take care of this.
1: He's probably got a couple guys too, right? It can't just be him.
2: There is a crowd of people and guards, and he comes forward. And he's like, there's a couple of the guards that were in the surge forward that are blinded, and he's grabbing them by the shoulder and shoving them forward, like, no, walk, I don't care what you can see. All
1: right, the gig's up. So I would see this, and my eyes, like, there's a moment, there's a moment with this bright daylight around me that I can be, that I'm outlined as clear as day, and we lock eyes, and I give you that, I'll see you next time nod. And I cast strider on myself, which means that I can now move at 70 feet per round, and I just zip out of there.
2: Noir, you know exactly where to go. You've built up, like, enough of a kind of support network in town, people that know Tabitha, you know the business connections, you know the friends of... Adelbricht Cuthbert, you know exactly who you can go to, and they commiserate. They offer you drinks. They offer you a bath.
3: We've got the three remains in my burned-down home with Tabitha and the two yeah. guards.
2: Like they're, they were in the second story, so eventually, like the the floor collapsed, so they find the bones. It's enough to confirm numbers, but God, there's there's not. It's not a clean body it's hard to figure out who it was so the funerals are held they're buried out back near where your wife was put to rest
3: this is so
4: terrible
2: (laughs) and (laughs) over time Adelbrecht rebuilds a little bit of a life in this town that now knows That for some reason, there's a centaur murderer that they need to be on guard for. And you don't have to worry, as a pillar of community, your friends will always keep you safe. Just as long as you don't fucking leave this town.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'll leave, I just won't be myself. Yeah. Oh,
2: God. Nor, thank you so much. This was fantastic. Oh, God. Thank
3: you. This was such a good time.
1: If you want to suggest creatures for future episodes or talk about the monsters we've discussed on the show, head on over to our Discord. You can find links on killeverymonster.com.
2: And we'll see you next time for Kill, Kill Every, Every
1: Monster. Monster.
3: How he rose from nothing to become new york's
4: king of the egg cream so if you like funny true stories come listen to king of the egg cream available wherever you get your podcasts
1: the ancient mountainous deserts to the south of Feyrun are the places where mortals first raised great temples and unlocked powerful secrets A kingdom once fractured by infighting has been united under the Iron Claw of the Red Dragon, Chasar. The Great Lizard's quest for immortality has become an all-consuming obsession. His need for worshippers has set him on a path against the old gods of these lands, and they will not go quietly. An unlikely cabal of deities has banded together to undermine Jazar, and ensure that their temples remain protected and active. They've traced tendrils of fate to preferred timelines, then selected five mortals who had the best chance of bringing those futures to fruition. You will take on the role of one of these chosen, in Death to the Dragon King. Find out more about this Start Playing Games campaign and all of my other available games at arom.gay.